right, we are in 1 Corinthians chapter 4. If you'd like to turn there, uh, we'll eventually get to it. And so uh, you were told about VBS. You might have picked up on it with a little different decor. We've got a few different things in here. We actually have a pretty significant backdrop size-wise. All this will come out after service and second service, and we'll set up for VBS. And, and uh, you know... As you go pick up your kids or they come out, you'll see we've de decorated the whole back end. And I'll tie this all together here in just a second. Culturally, globally, this world is on a downhill descent concerning immorality, ethics, and right living. I don't call it righteous living because that implies to many people some sort of religious pressure. But there is a right way to live. Uh, it's not rocket science, seriously. And we can agree, you didn't come here this morning ignorant of this truth, that this world, this globally, is on a, in a time of a downhill descent. We're in a time where people are encouraged to do whatever they think is right. It's left up to them. It's like the days before what is geologically proven uh, what is biblically recorded this time of the worldwide flood when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes in these days of Noah. The flood was, a, was in one sense, was a judicial act by God upon people who defied him and rejected him. It's one thing to reject God, but to compound that rebellion with defiance is, is really like adding on to your own problems and challenges. But interestingly enough, recorded in Genesis, God placed the rainbow upon the earth as a reminder of his grace, of his covenant with humanity, and, and of, of the hope to come. He offers hope to those who receive him. Today, this month, God's word has once again been rejected and even hijacked by a global immoral movement. Let me give you a quick review. I don't think I'm old. You laugh, some of you are older than me. So hey, I, I got, you know. I, I, you know the, the years keep going by, so actually I'm aging. There's another one of those deep thoughts by Dan. But in the 60s and into the 80s, I'm just giving a really brief review of probably what you know. There was this uh, talk, my bedroom, my business. Do you remember that? That was the initial, if you would, shift. My bedroom, my business, you cannot legislate morality, this is none of your business, which is a stupid statement. Of course you legislate morality. That's what civil code is about to a large degree. But do you remember, some of you, any, anybody you still capable of raising your hands? Okay. So, you know, us older people, we're like, okay, yeah, oh, that's right. It is how it was. You, you can't, this is my business. It's my bedroom. Now, in a short couple of decades, seriously, my bedroom is your business. You will approve, you will support my immorality. You will even fund it and celebrate it or you will be punished. That's the global age that you live in. Worse than that... We are told to expose our children to it in the name of inclusion and diversity. 
It is promoted in the schools. If you interfere, you're a villain, at, at the least a villain. They cross the line there, can we agree? You, you as an adult do what you do. That, that's a reality of life. But when you start taking that, whatever it is, and you start pushing it upon children without their parents' approval, with a, a global, I, I, I thought it was, you know, in a way it's more America, democracy, we make our choices, we're on this downhill descent. It's global. It's global. Which shows you that there's something more spiritual and more evil amongst it as well. But... You expose the children, you promote the children, you make products to distract the children. No. And you have to answer this. I have to deal with this. Maybe even collectively, there may be some things done. But individually, when will you, when will we take a stand for truth? When will we stop being manipulated and pressured and threatened? Would you write a check to support immorality? Would you just write a check? Hey, here, I'll, I'll give you 22 bucks. You wouldn't do it. Like, oh, I, want, I, I don't agree with it, but I don't want you to think evil of me. You wouldn't do it. Will you enable businesses and groups to promote it? What if a business made 22% on products sold? Just write them a check for 22 bucks. You wouldn't do it, but you'd buy their product. And I'm not a boycott guy or a girl cot. I don't know which one is what the difference is. <laughs> but here's the thing. Or a trans cot. I don't know. Anyway, I dig deeper and deeper into this hole I'm going to climb out of real fast. Where do we draw the line? You see, don't take this personal. I'm just looking at reality. But when someone pulls up in their F-150 to buy their Bud Light at Target, do what you want. But when Christians... See, Christians can boycott Bud Light, right? I don't think it's hard for a Christian to, to stop buying Anheuser-Busch. Most of you don't anyway. But this is okay to target. Target's actually the test, I think. Because this... Oh boy, it's getting deeper. Anyway, <laughs> I just can't avoid this stuff. I get so frustrated that you're, I'm, we're not supposed to talk about it. We're just supposed to, oh, let's just not upset people. I don't care. I don't care if Christians are upset. I don't care if people are upset. I'm not defiant. I'm not disrespectful. Just, just face it. How, how can we say it's okay just because they provide a cheap, poor boy fashion line and other things when they have clearly set their target on your children to distract them, deceive them, and ultimately terribly hurt them? And, and if I say anything about it, I'm banned or censored or blocked or whatever. It's like, I, you and I, we, we have this. The very Word of God. And the Word of God directs our steps. And why, do I, why am I going into this? Because, you know, there's a point we have to stop listening to what the world's saying to us and start thinking about what God has already said to us. we got to stop getting drawn in by this persuasion and manipulation and leverage and terrorist tactics and start saying, wait a minute, I, I'm going to make a personal choice. You don't even have to post it on Facebook. Just make your choice. You don't have to tell people. Just make your choice. Because there's a point you say, you know what, I'm, I'm, this is just, I can't go along with this. You can be kind, loving, and respectful as you disagree with what is going on. It's not just Sunday morning. What we learn on Sunday morning is lived out throughout the week in our, in our choices and such. So, 
1 Corinthians chapter 4. I told you it was going to take a while to get there. But here's why this is important. Well, first of all, let me tell you one other thing. I would tie it together. You're going to go down the hall. You're going to see a rainbow on the wall. And God had it first, okay? It was his first. It was his. He's the one that said, this is my promise to humanity. And somehow this other group hijacks it and says, no, this is what it is. Oh, shut up. It is not. That is not what, do I say shut up too much? Don't talk back to me. Shut up. No, just kidding. So here, here's, it's like, oh my gosh, how can they take that and turn it into this? And everybody kind of bows down to they cower to it. No, no. You can be respectful, kind, and loving, and take a stand. It's actually essential. So, 1 Corinthians is a letter to a church that was much like the world you live in today. And we think we've arrived, I guess it's not this, it's this, at a deeper point of depravity and despair. But it was just as messed up in Corinth. It was just as messed up, to the point there was approved religion, if you would, that was oriented around prostitution, because that was kind of the peak of a, a human experience, that element of sexual pleasure. And so they promoted it. It was a big thing in all various deviant forms. We're living in this, this very similar time because there was nothing new under the sun, according to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We are called out of this world when we're born again. We're still in it. But we're also called up it means we're still here, but we're learning to live and love at a higher level. The horizontal that you know of as this earth's wisdom is not our reference point anymore. We're vertical if you want to see it that way. We want to get, receive from the wisdom from above. As we're born again, born of the Spirit, we want to have that discernment to know what God says in a given situation how we're to live in this world that we're in. The Corinthian church was more worldly-minded than heavenly-minded. Within the church, they would compare and compete concerning how uh, a leader should be. Using horizontal standards, they brought division and strife into the church. All the while, they seen themselves as being more gifted and focused than Paul or the other apostles. You see what I'm saying? Here, the church leader, looked, they look like this. Oh, that guy's this, and Apollo's that, and this person this. And they're using horizontal, earthly wisdom. And then here, Paul and the apostles, you know, they're not as blessed. They don't have as much stuff. They're not as pretty as to look at. You know, Paul kind of had a radio face, so to speak. Which means he wouldn't be good on TV, so that's what I'm saying. He wasn't the most pleasant to look at, if you would. And so they really critiqued him, treated him, as we will see in this letter, like an inferior person because he didn't meet, meet these certain oratory skills and a certain fine-tuning and technique and presentation and theatrics. And so this part of the letter we're addressing is, is Paul is going to be the one that kind of the word comes through. In chapter 4, God addresses a common practice in the church by teaching through the life example of Paul. Is that, is that a, hopefully a good way to see it? Paul's not talking about himself in the sense of boasting. He knows God has done a work in his life. He knows his calling. He knows his commitment, if you would, because of the grace of God. And so he just starts saying, listen, this is, let's just consider this. Let's jump in. We're going to read verses 1 to 13 of 1 Corinthians 4. 
And then we'll just walk through it together. We'll go back and catch the context and the principles and the application that are present within this particular chapter. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. With me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I know of nothing against myself yet. I'm not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Continuing there in verse 6. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? No, if you indeed received it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. Verse 9, For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the off-scouring of all things until now. All right, let's just jump back over to, to verse 1. And Paul says, as he's encouraging them, and I think it's just the nature of God, as he brings correction, he's doing it to build people up, not to, not to bury them or push them down. Or you know. he, he wants you and me to grow, to mature, to be built up. So as, as this word comes to the, to the leaders, the people there in Corinth, Paul's saying, listen, I want you to think of it this way. Consider. Consider speaks of um, reckon or um, take into account, take inventory. So instead of just saying, hey, it's all the same, everyone's the same, we're all the same, yes, we are all the same. But God has created this world, this universe, with order. He's even established leadership, not, not superiority, but equality with order. And so Paul knew what God had done in his life, and he knew this is, this is how he was to, to live. And so he's saying, take into account, and notice what he says. I want you to consider us, if you would, in the sense of hit, hit their influence upon them. And notice he says, as servants of Christ, as servants of Christ. He, he, he wasn't, you know, Paul had a handle on it because he, he had hurt people. And because he had been forgiven, and, and those who have been forgiven much love much. And so he, was, he understood, if you would, that he wanted to serve. He wanted God to be glorified. He wasn't building the, the first church of Paul. He wasn't trying to build notoriety and name and position and all these things. He just, listen, we're servants. And it's interesting, you, you've, if you've read the Bible much, and maybe you've done some study in the original language, and just so you could get more clarity on, on what the, the meaning is, he doesn't use the commonly wor used word for a servant, doulos, 
which was a common slave. He used a different word here. And here the word used, it, it speaks of a free slave who willingly serves in a position assigned to them. The free slave, so he, he willingly serves in a position assigned. Paul was given assignment by God, and he willingly obeyed God in serving. No persuasion, no coercion, no you know, gold stars after his name. He, he was just with dedicated service, which is such a great example. It's such an important thing for us personally and individually to know that we serve the living God. We're, we're knit together as a gathering. We, we're not the church. We are a gathering of people. The church is global. But we are a gathering. We each have specific calling and purpose. And he says, we're, I'm, a, I'm a servant. No, consider us to be servants because they were seeking to be elevated because that's the horizontal way of thinking. As you succeed, as you prosper, as you grow, as you're promoted in your particular field, you climb the ladder of success, correct? You're higher up. And really God says, okay, well, I'm going to turn that all over. He wants to be great in my kingdom. Let him be a servant of all. Let him be down here building others up instead of lifting themselves up. So here's the thing we want to see ourselves by application of this. We're servants. We're, we're called the same in the sense, you know, we, you and I have an individual calling and invitation. And it's really, quite honestly, um, I think this simple. Serve in the area he has invited us to serve. In the assignment he has given by the power and wisdom he provides. Do it for his glory. There's great joy in fulfilling your calling. It's not to be elevated like some hierarchy or whatever. It's just a personal response of a born-again believer responding to the living God who will teach them how to walk by faith. So we're called to be servants, and that's what Paul says. Consider us. You know, weigh this out. We're servants. And notice he also goes on to say, and stewards. A steward is one who is uh, responsible for someone else's resources. A steward is one who takes care of other things. Paul knew he was entrusted with eternal truth. You know, stewards or managers, they just manage another person's resources. What's he managing? What's he a steward of? The mysteries, it says. Stewards of the mysteries of God. Mysteries is not like we think of in the novels or the TV shows. It speaks of previously hidden truth. And prior to the, to the, uh, the birth, the miraculous birth, prior to the, the, the life Jesus led, prior to the crucifixion and the resurrection, the prophets pondered and wondered what's it going to be like because it didn't make sense. They lived on the other side of the cross. Those truths were hidden. They, did, they, wouldn't, they didn't fit. They, they, you couldn't reckon them very well. But now on this side of the cross, they're revealed. And Paul understands, I'm a steward. I've been entrusted with this truth. Your parents and grandparents and great-great-grandparents or Paul's parents, you didn't, they didn't fill out a petition, a form of when you would be born on planet Earth. You're just here at a time when God placed you here, right? No one said, I would like to try Old Testament. I'd like to be born, you know, in the days of Elijah. You, you didn't get that option. You're just here now. I, I've noticed. You, you did too. You're here. And being here, you've been entrusted with certain things from God. The mysteries of God, the previously hidden truths, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. What an amazing privilege that we're entrusted to live it out 
and declare it. If we declare it, we should be living it. And that's why Paul, you can see, is able to refer to what God has done in his life, and his life is as an example, not perfection, but as an example of someone dedicated to serving the living God as a steward. Now it goes on to say, in verse 2, moreover, or in addition to, or of course you would know, it's required in stewards that one be found faithful. Faithfulness is a requirement of a steward, of a manager. Maybe you had, maybe in a different example, but you see the principle, maybe you had someone employed, or maybe you've been an employee that was unfaithful, and how it interferes with the overall purpose. It prevents what you're employed or what you're assigned to do from taking place because the person didn't show up because for whatever reason. And he says it's required that you be found faithful. Here's an interesting thing about faithfulness. You can falter and still be faithful because you don't know how to walk by faith, right? I didn't get an email with detail. I, I didn't get a route I didn't say follow this line and this line. I've got an invitation to live in a, in a very vibrant relationship with Jesus Christ. But he's going to teach me how to walk by faith. So being faithful, stewards, it involves being honest and humble when you falter or fail. There's a few people in the Bible that are listed as, as faithful people. If you go to Hebrews 11, here's this list of the examples of faith. And when you go back into the Bible by that name and you look up Abram or Abraham, you're going to scratch your head and go, how did he get that subtitle? How come he's called the man of faith? He, he faltered. Yes, but guess what? When he faltered, he learned how to follow. When he failed by horizontal measure, it's when he was teachable. Faithfulness brings you back to him, or faithfulness brings you back to him even when you've been faithless. And faith actually can really grow when we falter because at those times we have opportunity to admit we need him more. I've left that sentence very kind of open, if you would, so to speak. I'm not saying that every time you falter or fail, you'll grow in your faith. It's an opportunity to grow one direction or the other. And I think it's a beautiful opportunity to say, you know, I want to learn from this. I want to admit I need him more. It's when those moments, you know it, when you can't fix your health, when you can't fix the relationship, when you can only generate a minimal amount of finances and it doesn't even come close to the greater need, when you can't do anything, you either find some way to do it yourself or you admit, I can't do it. I don't know what to do. God, could you show me what to do? Show me what's my part and, and how I walk according to your direction and your invitation. How do I do this? To walk, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. Don't think that that means you can't falter. Can we agree? Can I leave it there? You will falter in your faith. That's how you learn to walk by faith. You learn as you like stumble, like that's not the way I knew better. And you develop a sensitivity to literally what we would know to be God and the person of the Holy Spirit who indwells us. And according to the Gospel of John, He leads us into truth, He, he directs our steps. And as he does that, we, we stumble, we look over here, he says, okay, now back over here. So notice what Paul's saying, it's re, we, to be faithful, not to a system that was developing in Corinth, but a, a savior who would call them into a deeper relationship. With me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. It sounds kind of cocky at first read, like, I don't care what you say. 
<laughs> That's really not what he's been saying. Judged here, and I'll have to do a study on that one of these days. We'll just look into that word and how it's biblically to be applied. Because people are always saying, even as I've mentioned some of the cultural things, you, don't, you can't judge me. You're not my judge. <laughs> the word here speaks of scrutinized, interrogated, investigated. And I think of it in, uh, I was kind of jarred because it also speaks of to sift. And as a kid, I would go down the street to my grandma's house, and, and you know, she, would, she was just always cooking, not like, you know, heating something up in the microwave, but actually cooking. And, and so she would she'd take the flour, and I remember she'd scoop it out of the bag, and she had this, this metal little basket-looking thing with a funky handle on it, and you go, you know what I'm doing? Sifting flour. You're separating the, the weevils or the bugs or the stuff out of it. it, it many of you know what I'm talking about. Well, you know, that, that's kind of what the word is, is about. It's like, you know, you're examined. And, and Paul says, it's, it's no big deal to me if you examine me. Because for one, he knew, because it's already been identified in the first three chapters, the Corinthian church was examining with this type of wisdom, horizontal, carnal wisdom. And he says, I, you know, I, I don't think I'll ever please you. I don't know that I'll ever be approved by you. And it, that doesn't bother me. He wasn't in any way disrespectful. He's building them up through this. God is using him to build them up, but bring in this truth. And so he says, it, in fact, I, I don't even examine myself. Now, it's the wording there, once again, is I don't even scrutinize myself. Look in verse 4. For I know of nothing against myself. Once again, like, really? Really? Nothing? Yeah, he, he says, I, I, he, he knew nothing clear and obvious against himself. But notice, he says, I was not justified by this. This didn't justify me. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I'm not justified by this, but by he who judges me is the Lord. The one thing we don't fully know is our motives. Can we agree? Have you ever set out to do something good and the motivating uh, logic, motive, is maybe one thing. But as you get involved in what you're doing, you realize there's a leech motive attached. There's perhaps a personal gain to come from it. I'm going to share this story. I, I don't like sharing it, but I always feel prompted to share it. I, I'm shoveling snow for this lady across the street. We're young in our marriage, Kim and I, and this lady's elder lady you know, shut in. I'm shoveling the snow over there and just going, because it's just a Christian thing to do. It's what you do. And it was just the right thing to do. So I'm compelled. I'm motivated. I'm shoveling away. I'm reasonably efficient, although I did take a break, and she looked out the window and wasn't happy that I was taking a break. But nonetheless, I'm just, you know, and I'm, eh, whatever. I'm, and, I'm, and I've told this before, but I'm shoveling along, like a good Christian guy. And I thought, maybe she'll put me in her will. Now, you want to be a deflator. You want to rob motivation. Just stand there and throw up in the snow. I mean, I felt like just Ralph, I guess I shouldn't say Ralph, but throwing up there in the snow. Just like, ah, oh, what is going on? And I, I'm standing there, which I'm sure she really didn't set well with her. But I'm just like, like I don't know how to shovel snow anymore. Because here's this motive that I thought was right. But it revealed another motive that attached to it, and maybe there's personal gain from this. So Paul is saying, I'm compelled to do certain things, but I really don't know my motive entirely. Sometimes in that motion to do a good thing, it unearths a really reprobate ill motive. 
And so he was actually saying, I'm going to stand before the Lord. I'll let the Lord judge me. Paul knew himself a little bit. And he was confident that God knew him better. So maybe we can remind ourselves. You can insert your name. He believed that God knew Paul better than Paul knew Paul. I believe God knows Dan better than Dan knows Dan. And the key to that is being teachable. It's a key for you and me. Humility and teachability. We learn the truth about ourselves when we're born again and are taught by him. If you consider Hebrews chapter 4, this is really how we learn as we're taught. It begins in verse 12. For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joint and a marrow, and get this, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. That's so important for us to be reminded, hey, he's going to teach us how to serve. And then sometimes we're off and sometimes we, we judge ourselves like, yeah, I'm not such a bad guy after all. No, you're not. You're not openly defiant. You're not how you used to be, but you're far from what he's called you to be. And he will continue and walk you through that particular journey. Continue on if you will jump back to me with me to verse 1 Corinthians 4 in verse 5. Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. It's the element of being faithful, being a good servant, being a good steward, and God allowing God to, to purge and to purify your heart and your mind. As a believer, as a follower of Jesus Christ, as a seeker of the creator of the universe, as one who surrendered to him, you long to hear, even maybe you haven't thought about it, but many of us have, you long to hear words out of Matthew 25. Well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, we also want to remember, you and I, as we weigh out these cultural realities, as we sort through the things that we have to navigate, First or Second Corinthians chapter 5, verse 10, tells you and me as followers of Christ, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body according to what he's done, whether good or bad. We will give an account. And it's not a performance thing. It's really a faithfulness and a teachability thing. Are we formed by his presence? Are we shaped by his influence? Does he have that? Is he allowed to do that in our lives? So you see where Paul's saying. So I'm a servant and a steward. Could you consider that? As you're establishing a religious hierarchy and organizing a particular system, could you consider these factors? That you're to be servants and to be stewards, and you'll, you'll, you'll stand before God someday, hoping, maybe, not just wishful thinking, but living in such a way you'll hear, well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. Now, in verse 6, Paul unites himself, as you see there, with Apollos. Saying these things, brethren, I figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes. So he's taking these things and he's applying them to, to himself and Apollos, who was not, as you would consider the scripture would reveal, he was not an apostle. He was actually a very humble guy, although a very good, gifted speaker. Because we know he was taught the ways of God and the word of God um, by, uh, gosh, I 
couple. I want, I want to say, I think it's Priscilla and Aquila who took him aside and taught, taught him. Now, you think about that. In that culture, this man is being taught by a woman. I don't know if you know that that's a problem sometimes in the world we live in. But here he's, so here there's Paul, identified as an apostle, Apollos, and even Peter. They were leaders, and as leaders, they were to be united and humble. And that's the example that they set. Because he says there in verse 6, not to think of us what is, or beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. It's an interesting thing, because you, you're not to be puffed up, if you would, from the sense of you know, um, self-inflated. But you have to be honest. If you started as a believer, and you did as a Christian, and as you, you begin this journey... You should see maturity taking place. You should have a greater knowledge of the word as you go along. You should have an understanding of how to live out the invitation, the calling you have, the gifting you have. And Paul even said at one point, as I follow Christ, so follow me. So he was saying, as I'm following the Lord, I'm setting an example and follow that example as long as I stay on course with Jesus. And so as you think about that, what he's saying is here is you be aware of what God's doing in your life but don't be puffed up like it's all, all about you, like it's something you've done. God will always let the air out of the self-inflated that are against one another, and I believe that's a key. He said that you're against one another. When, when the comparison and the, and the competition and within the body of Christ is like, well, I don't go anymore, or I, don't go, I don't attend that fellowship anymore because of this and because of that, and I go to there because this leader is this, and you see what I'm saying? It's, it's, it's not about what God's doing, it's about what you're against. And that's problematic according to the Word of God, because it's not wisdom and insight and maturity on that person's part, it's actually a form of division. And it was happening in the early church. You ever heard people say, I wish the church today was more like the first century church. I don't know. I'm reading it thinking we are. I think it's very much the same. I think there's so many things. And God still says, I want you to grow. I want you to understand this. And so don't be puffed up, overinflated. But yet at the same time, be real about what God's doing in your life. Verse 7, and here's the logic. What makes... You differ from another. What do you have that you did not receive? If you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you not received it? It's really so simple. Why do you brag and boast about what you received as a gift of grace? God poured into you and me. He gave us opportunity. It was unmerited favor and undeserved kindness. So why do we think we're something? So why does the, the, the early the leadership in the early church, like sometimes even in the contemporary church, well, I'm this and I'm that, but why? Because God give you physically the ability. He give you the mental capacity. He give you the emotional stability. He's given you things to do this, and, and you didn't just generate it. You didn't just produce it. The natural man tends to take credit for what God has done. It's just a comparison to the world, and it's, it's just reasoning on a very horizontal level. You didn't produce it. You didn't perfect it. It's, he's placed you and I in this position in 